everyone. Welcome to the first episode of DevOtaku. This is the podcast where three developers get together. They don't talk about algorithms. They don't talk about big O notation. Instead, they talk about anime. They talk about the thing that keeps them sane in between those code reviews. I'm Jay. I'm Kiera. I'm Jamie. And this episode is the first episode, unless you count our trailer, which if you haven't listened to it, it's pretty fun. Uh, we joke around a lot. We talk about some of our our first loves in anime, some of our, our favorite animes. But most importantly, we talk about why we're doing this, to give our brains a break and get into just the laughing and the excitement and thrills that is the Cowboy Bebop series. And I have to warn you, we're covering episode one. If you haven't seen episode one, we're going to give you a good like five seconds to watch it. No, I'm just kidding. You can pause it and then continue as we begin to break down. I'm going to let our DJ Saeed play us into our spoiler break. Okay, now that that's over, let's jump into episode one. It starts out um, like most of these great episodes with some very smooth music playing. Um, if you didn't catch the first, first trailer, I love this music. Um, and you can just tell from the beginning, like, something is going down. Um, Spike is smoking a cigarette, holding some roses, and it flashes back to a shootout. And I mean, I just got to ask, like, everyone love interest, maybe? Like, who's, who is dead? Like, if, like, when I first saw this, I was like, I don't know who's dead. Like, father dead? Love dead? I saw the roses. I'm like, okay, so maybe, like, his wife, girlfriend, uh, friend? Like, what's up? Who, who's dead in this? See, that's that's what I love about the intro is it just it, it hits you with this sort of slow-moving, here are some scenes, here's some music make you ask yourself a bunch of questions and then you get hit in the face with jazz. It's brilliant. See, I took another take. I was a little confused, right? But it also reminds me of like how Archer starts, how it's always like ambiguous and then like everything will make sense in the end. So I was like, okay, cool. By the end of this season, like I should know what this means. And see, this is where it gets hard because I've I've watched I've watched Bebop before, so like coming into it knowing what's gonna happen, and I'm not gonna spoil it, but just kind of knowing like I know who's dead, but at the same time, like even watching it again for the first time, I'm like, oh man, who's dead? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then so and then how that happens and how they break it in break into it and everything, like uh again, Watanabe is a genius with this. But then it cuts into the music, and then we get into scene one, which is on the Bebop. That is the ship. Uh, for the longest, I was like, who the heck is Bebop? Like, <laughs> is, is guy with guy with one arm, you know, guy in the blue jacket. Like, who is this Bebop character? And uh, turns out it's the ship. They they explain that later in the first episode uh, when uh, – when, uh, I keep wanting to call him Tank, and I know his name isn't Tank – 
uh, when Jet tells Spike, you know, get back, I'll meet you on the bebop. And I'm just like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. But they're on the bebop. Spike is doing his katas. He's going through his his martial arts routine. And Jet is cooking what he calls his special beef and bell peppers, which with no beef. (laughs) Asimov Solenson, he's our next target. Uh, Listen, Jet. This guy's a major player in the syndicate, operates all around the asteroids. You said bell peppers and beef. His name's Asimov Solenson. Are you listening to me? There's no beef in here. So you wouldn't really call it bell peppers and beef, now would you? Yes, I would. Well, it's not! It is when you're broke, all right? And, you know, like, the first thing that I, I re- like distinctly remember as they're getting their bounty, and he's like, how are you going to serve me beef and bell peppers with no beef? And he goes, like, what happened to all that money that we just made from that last heist? And Jet basically just starts going down an itemized list of how how Spike had basically destroyed all of it. And, and he winds up saying, you killed all the dough. And I was just like, this is the relationship that they have where it's like, we're partners. I don't know if they necessarily want to be partners, <laughs> but it's kind of like those, those brothers that like act like they hate each other. But deep down inside, they have like a lot of love for, for one another. Sounds like a perfect friendship. Yeah. Yeah, especially like when you're out, it's like, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people forget in space shows. Like, they're not on a ship that can do like, or like it can do light speed because of these hyper gates, but they're not really designed, like, you still have to wait, like, you're still out in space. Um, and if, if you look at it, one of the things that they do with this show is like, once you get back on you know whatever planet you're going to it's really different like there's a lot of you know it's like modern day you know it's not really set in the future at least it doesn't feel like it's set in the future it's it feels like it's set in like you know i think this this uh cowboy bebop came out in like 98 it felt like maybe like it takes place in like 2001 it's it's weird that they have this whole idea of hey we're out in space it's lonely out here and like we're just sitting there waiting to hear from our next orders, you know, someone's over there like doing kung fu. The other person's cooking up fake meat, and you know it's good to have a brother. I wonder how the story would have differed had like Spike been by himself. Don't think it would make it as interesting. Like your dynamic and relationships with people make the storylines better. Yeah, but still, it doesn't seem like Spike is the type that that talks very much. I mean, most friendships are like that, right? You got a person that talks more than the other. Yeah, it's like Jet's the guy complaining and then Spike is the one that's like, eh, is what it is. If it was just Spike, like his character behavior from episode one, it would be a kind of almost like a, it would be a fun show to watch because, you know, I mean, we'll get onto it later, but when he bumps into Katarina and steals all of her stuff and steals the hot dog, you know, that's kind of funny, but it, it, it would be like watching... Yeah, I guess it would be like watching an animated Clint Eastwood spaghetti western, but for 26 episodes. And as much as I love Clint Eastwood, <laughs> I don't think I could watch that many spaghetti westerns back to back. To back. Very true. And, and even looking at this, like as we get later into the story, we really start to see that 
position of each. Like it, it seems like Jet's kind of running the show, but yet he knows that he needs Spike to kind of be the muscle. So you always see Jet giving out the orders, and then like Spike's like, "Yeah, okay, sure, whatever," and he goes and just does his thing. So I, at first I'm like, okay, is this like a boss-employee relationship? Is it like a friend-to-friend relationship? Like, I, There's still a lot to, to figure out there. But uh, as they're talking, they get their, their orders to apprehend Asimov. Um, I, I, can't even, I cannot pronounce the last name here. Asimov Solinson. He's our next target. Talking and they're like, where are you going? We're going to Tijuana. And... To me, that was weird because like I'm from I'm in San Diego, so Tijuana is like 30 minutes away. But then when they're flying in, it looks like it's just like this little like crater. <laughs> but yeah, like so they go to Tijuana, and that takes us into scene two. But before we get into scene two, I wanted to talk about Spike's personal ship, his fighter. Um, did anyone else notice that it was basically a motorcycle? Yeah, yeah, and I think that kind of lends into. They're known as cowboys because they're bounty hunters. Obviously, you can't have a horse in space. <laughs> but the next best thing would be a mechanical horse, which, you know, if you listen to Bon Jovi, a mechanical horse is a motorbike, you know? Yeah. Kind of wish the ship was, like, a little bit more flashy, I guess. I don't know. It seemed, like, pretty basic, but I've also been playing a lot of Destiny lately. That could be why. I'm pretty sure that'll skew your judgment a (laughs) little on that one. Well, and if we look at it, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say that they're successful in that they, they usually get their, you know, culprit, they get, they get the person they're supposed to get, but it doesn't seem like they are living pretty well, which I don't, I'm guessing that maybe the life of a bounty hunter isn't one of like fame or luxury. It's more of, you know, hey, all of our money basically goes into staying alive and getting to the next mission. Yeah, I kind of connected with the lifestyle. And I guess because, I mean, that's technically grad student life, you know? Yeah, definitely. I can <laughs> definitely believe yeah, that. Yeah, like you might make money working in labs or whatever, but at the same time, like, you're just trying to survive. You don't really care about all the extra. Yeah. And and I mean, their ship is their ship's in pretty bad shape. Um, I mean, and that's what I was thinking, like, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't originally like a motorcycle, but like he crashed it and they just had to like pick up a part to like make it work. So he wound up picking up like motorcycle, like steering wheel. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm speculating there. Um, later in the episode when he's stuck, when he's, uh, refueling, um, I think it's Katarina says, Hey, this is an old ship or something. And he says, yeah, it's been through a lot. Nice ship. Yeah, it's a blast from the past. I've had it for ten years. It looks like it's been around. Guess you could say we've done some traveling. So they're in Tijuana, and it, the camera takes us into um, a club called El Rays. I'm not quite sure, like what that was. What that was? That was kind of like a, a part of laziness there, maybe. Like, what do we call this club? Uh, Rays. Well, no, it's it takes place in Tijuana, so it would be El Rays. <laughs> And I, I wanted to take this moment because this is where we start to see some of the actual character design of of Watanabe. All of these characters, this is like a very diverse show. And I mean that in that usually like when you watch an anime, everybody looks Japanese, everyone, or they look um, like American or they look super, super animated out with like the big anime eyes and like all that weird stuff. But 
this is a series where people look, I don't want to say normal, but I don't want to say they don't look like stereotype. They don't look extremely like, oh, it's an anime. So we need to make sure that all the women have, you know, large breasts and we need to make sure, you know, every man here is either enormous or completely ripped. Like if you look at Spike, Spike is like, he's a lean, tall guy. And then Jet is a bit more muscular, um, except for the whole like missing arm thing going on there or the mechanical arm. But then all of the characters seem to have like a normal build. And I, I think that that's, that's a refreshing scene with, or a refreshing thing to see in these episodes. Definitely. It's kind of related, but I really like the three old guys and their inclusion. And they look, you know, they don't look stereotypically anime. They, they look like old guys, you know, the guys who were playing poker and the, the different, I mean, we'll come on to it in a minute, but the different guys who come after Asimov, they are, and I don't know how best to put it, but they're all different shapes and sizes and all different shades of skin tone, which is really cool. You know, I liked that. You know, you, like you say, if you watch Picking Out Dragon Ball, the main character is white, the secondary main character is white, third main character is white. You have to go down a, a huge list until you get to someone who's not Caucasian, you know? And get to Bobbity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the characters, like, I don't know, knowing that this came out back in, like, 98, granted, I was barely walking. But, I mean, it kind of makes it feel like the new anime now is kind of based off of that same principle, or at least the stuff I've been watching lately. Because it's just like, all right, this is another human. And then you add in the space aspect, and it's like, oh, this looks like something that came out this year. And then the old guys, they kind of connected. I was like, all right, where they get this name Cowboy Bebop from? And then the older guys sitting around, I was like, okay, I get it. Western cowboys. This is starting to make sense now. Keeping up with the story, like, at this point, you meet Asimov. He's got his, his bloody eye, which is, I guess, what he's pushing on the streets these days. It gives you incredible strength, like heightened senses. Um, and you'd like spray it into your eye, which is just weird. I don't know if I could do this. It's like, I guess like eye drops, I guess, with like eye spray. <laughs> like that's, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a really weird scene because you wonder like, okay, how did he get this stuff? And then all of a sudden some people show up and I don't, I don't know what guns they're using, but I mean, they light that place up. And it, it's so weird because it doesn't seem like any, like, does anyone die? Well, I guess the, the bartender gets, yeah. The bartender, he's well, like that, the only one that the, dies. The, the guys who were attacking, they all get, yeah. you, you know, they all get dealt with. But yeah, I guess none of the main characters in the scene die. Nobody important, I guess. I'm like, you have those three old guys that are just out there. <laughs> like, how do they escape? Well, that's a good question. But yeah, basically some, some gangsters come in, they shoot up the place. Oh, yeah, Kiara, what were your thoughts on, like, that first scene of, like, okay, people are shooting people? So, I didn't understand what the bloody eye thing was. So, it took me a minute. I had to replay that because I was just like, I'm sorry, did he just shoot drugs in his eye? Like, like what is this? <laughs> That's what so I'm that saying. Weird. And then I was like, wait, there's a pregnant chick sitting there asking for liquor. Like, <laughs> I didn't, I don't know, it didn't connect with me at first. So I watched it multiple times. So I was like, okay, this is a weird shootout because like, you know, typically if you think Western shootouts, everyone in the area dies. The old men don't die. <laughs> the I'm going to assume it's a girlfriend because the type of relationship they had seemed like that. Like she was just 
chilling like this was normal. She drunk his beer and stuff like when he went to the back and I was just like, OK, so I'm not like connecting the dots was very hard at first. Like, I think you have to watch the full episode, then go back to kind of like, OK, now this makes sense. Definitely. It, and it, it seems like they don't know what's going on like the people obviously the the three men they don't know what's going on because they come in and you can kind of tell there's like this code being spoken where it's like yeah you know hey how's it going weather's like this and then later on we see we see spike say the same thing later um kind of as a trick and you know he kind of like flashes it so at first i'm like okay for one vial he's asking for like so many million wulongs and i'm just like okay I'm not sure what the currency conversion rate is, but a million of anything is a lot. (laughs) Like, I was like, okay, he's asking for a lot of money for one thing. And then the guy makes him use it in front of him. And I'm like, okay, what if he just uses it, kills you, and then takes your money? And then, like, and your bar, I guess. Yeah, so when he asked him to, like, when he was like, oh, I want proof. So, you know, it sounds bad, but, like, when you watch Drug Inc. or whatever on Discovery, and they're telling you how like people want you to prove that it's pure like cocaine or anything like that's literally what this reminded me of so i was like oh so it's a drug but then if you like keep watching and they're, they're coming to look for him it's like oh well you know he has that bloody eye and i'm just like oh so it's a superpower so he's like spider-man like you don't know what it is is it is it a drug is it a superpower what have you and i think it takes like the full of the episode to understand how dangerous it is yeah, I mean, in, at first I was like, why does he have blood? <laughs> like, like, why is he like, yo, I got some O negative, you know, <laughs> if you want it. But I mean, yeah, like if you're like, okay, so maybe it's a drug. And then he like sprays it in his eye and I'm like, okay, it's definitely not blood because that's weird. And then afterwards he just goes in and massacres these people. And again, like Watanabe's artwork here is just absolutely amazing. I don't know how many times I'm going to say that, like just in this episode alone. But he does that. And then meanwhile, we go over to Spike, who's like smoking like hash with someone named Old Bull. And I mean, Spike looks stoned out of his gourd. And, you know, the bull tells him like, hey, you're going to meet a woman. And then a death is going to come. North of town. You, swimming bird. Huh? The swimming bird will meet a woman. The bird will be hunted by this woman. And then death. One more time. What's that? I was killed once before by a woman. You take women too lightly, my friend. On the contrary. Catch you later. When I see that, it's just like, okay, I already died once. Obviously, he didn't die because he's here, but he got killed by a woman. So then I'm like, okay, that person that died at the beginning of the show. Maybe that was a love interest. It was a, a, a woman that was close to him. Maybe it was a mother, you know, or a girlfriend or wife. Just kind of opens it up a little bit. But you can tell that it definitely changed him in a way. And I might just be looking too much into it. But he seems very like, I don't really care what happens. Whereas normally we're used to heroes being like, I want to save the world. I want to make a difference. I want to do this. Spike is not that person. Spike is more like, eh, I got to catch the bad guy and get paid. Like, it's a job. It's not a responsibility. It's just a job. I think it goes back to, you know how I said that Spike is a bit like Clint Eastwood in the Spaghetti Westerns? And I really do think he is. You know, if you think of A Fistful of Dollars or The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, 
the Clint Eastwood unnamed warrior character goes into a town and there's some bad stuff going down and he sorts it out so he can get some money to go to the next town, you know? And that's almost exactly what Spike is doing. So he almost like he has no connection with what's going on. And I feel like it fits really well with this sort of like film noir idea of, you know, if you watch any of the old film noir films, they're always like, he's an alcoholic and he just gets the job to make the money to get more alcohol, you know? And that's kind of what these guys are doing, except they just need to buy more beef for the bell peppers and beef. Beef is important. It it is. (laughs) When you don't have any, it is. (laughs) Yeah, I I thought it was, I thought it was saying like Spike got reincarnated. Just like, oh, so you've died before. (laughs) That didn't scare you? Like, I wouldn't want to die twice. Has to be painful the first time around. Well, and, and that's the thing is like, we really, we can't tell like what happened. It's just, and it's so hard to not know. Like in any other show, like if it was an anime where like a bunch of magic is happening, you're like, oh, okay, you know, he probably did die. And then like, you know, got somewhere, someone did a spell or, you know, Shinigami did something and then they came back and it was cool. But here it's like, there's such a realism to everything that you have like, okay, you know, like Jamie said, this film noir, like I'm doing this, it's my job. And, you know, I don't really care about you. I just care that I get paid. You know, you have that whole mentality, but then you also have this idea of like, okay, but then people are also spraying drugs into their eyes and getting like superhuman strength. Like, so is it, is it magic? Is it, you know, realism? Is it magical realism? <laughs> like what's like what's going on here? So after uh after smoking with with the old bull, um, and we see Jet go in and interrogate as as the gangsters are talking about what's happening. He does his thing, he basically just says, All right, you know, you're gonna tell me what's up and we're gonna figure it out. And then it jumps into the third scene where uh we see um, our Asimov character going into the bathroom, we're just kind of like, all right, you know, whatever. And out walks Spike. And I'm I'm just wondering, like, it seems like a good coincidence that he's there. Like, I, did it seem like it was planned or was it just like, hey, he went here afterwards. You should go follow up on him. You see, for me, the, the shaman did say the red-eyed coyote will arrive at the Vila Norte or something. So he kind of, he kind of tells him almost where to go, but then it, it feels coincidental that the place, because just before he gets there, he looks down at, at the control panel on his, on his uh, I forget the name of his ship, but he's on his ship and he needs to refuel. And it just turns out that the same place where he's refueling is where, you know, it's the exact same location. It's a bit coincidental, but then again, you know, maybe the shaman was right and maybe the shaman told him something Whilst we weren't there, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... That whole scene, I was trying to piece together, so... (laughs) (laughs) He bumps into the the female antagonist, and uh, what was her name again, Jamie? Uh, Katarina. Katarina. Yeah, according to the uh, the credits. Okay. So she runs... He runs into Katarina, and, like, they're talking, and he's... You know, he shows, like, he has a lighter side to him. He has a playful side, and he's funny, and... um, And she seems to really take to that. And that's, that's where I'm like... Oh, okay does is that what he does is like charm charm the lady and then you know beat up the guy and take him in you know peacefully or like what what is his move here but as he's talking you see this 
kind of roid rage happen with Asimov, and he just comes in and like tries to choke out Spike. And as he does, Spike actually pickpockets the vile bloody eye from him, which to me was just like, okay, Spike, did you let yourself get caught? Like, were you were you trying to make this happen? Like, again, it's hard to figure out whether Spike is just extremely lucky or if he is extremely methodical. I mean, he's a smooth thief, like regardless, <laughs> like the entire time, like he stole <laughs> food and I didn't even catch that. And I was like, how did you get a hot dog in your mouth? Like, <laughs> impossible. I do look that scene. And then like the, the vial, like if they wouldn't have done a close up, I don't think I would have noticed. I think I was too focused on him getting ready to pass out. Yeah. Again, like, the camera work even of like it, it shows you enough to think like oh hey yeah he got close in there but then like you're still sitting there like oh no they're, they're choking him out and i'm like okay where's jet at like some where where does he get saved how does he how does you know he come out of this and no he just passes out and like they leave and then jet comes along and he wakes up and he's like it's just like, yo, what happened to you? <laughs> I do think that the when he steals Katarina's stuff, it's kind of without being too overt, it's kind of telegraphing that he's really good. Like like Kiera said, it, he's, it's telegraphing that he's really good at, at pickpocketing. That's why when he gives the hot dog back, he also goes, oh, there's all these cigarettes and all that kind of stuff that I stole as well. <laughs> you know, And I really liked the, the break from, so we had everything looked pretty, uh, look really pretty and really realistic. Right up until the point when Spike had a hot dog in his mouth, <laughs> and you know his face goes out to the to the you know his face ex- extends by a foot or something on each side, and he just goes, "Oh yeah, there's your hot dog," and he just hands it back as if that wouldn't be gross. Yeah. <laughs> I think she even goes like, "That's gross. I don't want that back." I feel like Spike has a real grasp of full situational awareness. Like if you watch the way that he throws himself around when he's fighting, you know he's he he doesn't he doesn't need to worry about where's that table, where are these people. He can just throw himself around and not worry. I mean, it's part of movie magic, but as a character, as a person, he he feels like he doesn't doesn't need to worry about where everybody is because he knows where everything is. So I think that he would have known that that Asimov would have been watching him or would have been approaching him whilst he was refueling his. Uh, his ship and just took the opportunity i wonder if there's anything in his pocket and i'll pretend to uh, lose consciousness because katarina has given me this chance because she said stop it so i'll just fall to the floor and pretend that i've i've passed out he looks at katarina as she says adios cowboy and they fly away so it's almost like they both know that he's he's playing possum maybe well i don't feel like katarina knows i feel like I feel like she's like, I just did you a solid. I hope I never see you again. <laughs> like it was, it was a fun. I mean, it, cause it's like, it seems like he's kind of being casual and being flirty, which uh, I have one more point in that area, but it seems like he, yeah, he's being like really, really like suave about their, their interaction. And like, I think even Katarina says something about it and he's like, Oh, you were talking to him and, and, you know, Katarina's like, yeah, well, you were taking too long, <laughs> like, you know, and and it's like this whole like, you know, you're changing and all this whole stuff. But before we jump into the last major scene 
or the last major scenes, I would say. One of the things that I noticed was during their conversation, Spike reveals that he's from Mars, which is a very, I would say, split. It's a divided space. Um, that's where Katarina's trying to get to because she's, it sounds like she's been told her entire life, well, yeah, when you go to Mars, you'll be super successful and life will be easy. We're here. It's a struggle. And you've got to wheel and deal and sell blood eye and make that happen. But all in all, you know, Spike says, yeah, I mean, it's easy if you're rich. And if you're not, then uh, just like everywhere else, it sucks. And that makes me wonder, you know, Spike talked about dying earlier, and this is why I thought like maybe he didn't like actually die. It was like a metaphorical death. Um, maybe Spike had a really good life. Like I'm starting to think like he didn't like lose everything as much as he gave it up. Like it seemed like, you know, hey, all these rich people around me are doing great, but then I look around and then there's people struggling and that that's hard to figure out. What would you imagine Spike doing before being a bounty hunter? Because the bounty hunter seems like one of those jobs that you you always want to do like as a kid and you grow up and do it. But it seems like Spike is kind of using it to get away from something. Kind of just assumed he was like, not going to say like a homeless kid, but like someone with a really rough life that just like, because of his physique, I'm assuming he took to fighting, boxing, what have you. And now he's just like, all right, well, I got, you know, this strength and these skills that I picked up. I'm going to use them for good. So he's just kind of like, well, I'm here, but it is what it is. Life goes on type of thing. As long as I'm having fun. Yeah, we'll definitely have to check and see if there's like an origin story, you know, somewhere in future episodes. Jamie, you had a thought? Uh, no, I was just thinking that like um, maybe he picked up the martial arts as part of his previous life, which kind of goes into maybe what Kiara was saying. Maybe maybe he was a you know a martial artist and something happened, like he broke his leg or something, which meant he couldn't professionally compete anymore. I mean, I've seen the show before, but then maybe that's what happened, you know, and then he fell on hard times, like Kiara said, you know, and he ended up maybe living on the street and somebody found him and said, hey, you look like you can do a job for me, that kind of thing. I suppose we'll find out. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm wondering is like maybe he was like super skilled and then someone was like, hey, you know, you can make some money with that, with those skills. And then he gets in and then maybe gets in with the wrong people. And cause I mean, it seems like he seemed to be a very smooth fighter in this last big scene. And, and you know, Jamie, you mentioned that. Um, anyway, in this last scene, uh, Asimov is trying to sell that same vial of red eye that he had sell it, I guess, to the next bidder. And they go through this whole routine with a with someone wearing a a very large sombrero, like a comedic, uh, comedically large sombrero. And as they're exchanging, like, you know, like, I think here, like, did anyone not know that that I was Spike? I did not know that was Spike. <laughs> you didn't I wasn't know? like, okay. I was just like, oh, snap, it's a new customer. I was shocked. <laughs> I was like, I was like, either one of two things, either he's going to reach in his pocket for it and realize it's missing and then freak out. Or that guy in the big sombrero is Spike. <laughs> like, what about you, Jamie? Did you know it was him? Um, I guess, I guess I could tell from the voice. Yeah. But I mean, other than that, just like looking at the character, I thought, oh, that's just a person in the background. And I'm, you know, you get distracted by the same three old dudes playing poker again. You know, with the same complaining about the same things as you as well. You know, we can only be here because of the work I did. 
well, we all did it too, idiot. I really liked that repeating gag. Yeah, with the old dudes, it's like, okay, so they're there. So it's going to be trouble. Like, I was just waiting. I was like, the old dudes are always where trouble is. So, like, clearly there's a pattern here. Where's Spike? Well, I was just imagining, like, when they look up and they see him walk up again, I'd be like, oh, no, I'm out. <laughs> like, we're done here. Like, uh, I've had my drink. I'm good to go. Let's, let's leave because I guess this person brings, you know, massive gunfire around him. But, yeah, in this scene, like, Spike reveals himself and they do this fight. If you would even call it that. I mean, Spike doesn't... He fights with a martial arts style that is very, very smooth. I would... Like, that's... That was what I wrote in my notes. Like, he fought like he was dancing, not like he was fighting. And, like, I was like... I think for, like, half the fight, his hands are, like, in his pockets. <laughs> He's just like, no, oh, yeah, just, just dodging stuff. Like, oh, okay, cool, no problem. And then, like, he'll kick him every once in a while or punch him and... You're just like, huh, like where where did he learn that style? And it doesn't seem and this is where this is where I start to question the idea of like, oh, maybe he was a martial artist. Martial artists have a a training about them that's like, you know, your hands are up and you're ready to react. He has the reaction time of someone who, you know, was trained to fight, but he doesn't have the style of someone who was trained to fight. So that and that's why I started to wonder, like, you know, what was he in a past life? Because I mean, to me, I would have said he was like a, a jazz musician personally, but <laughs> he looked very smooth as he was fighting. But he's skilled, like super. You say skilled. that and like, so I play saxophone, right? So when you think jazz music, you think like cool and suave and just like real slick, and I think that really plays into Spike's character. Because the whole time, like, he's fighting, he's just real laid back. He's calm about it. He's moving around like water, like, and then you got the music in the background. And it's just like, okay, well, this is just, this is him being him. Like, he's this smooth guy. I wonder whether for Spike, because he can't sense the inherent danger, because he knows that Asimov hasn't had a chance to use the red eye and get the superhuman strength. I wonder whether he sees it as, this is just really a game. I'm just going to let you tire yourself out, because I'm thin and wiry. I can move around. I don't have to attack you. You're a big, muscular dude. You're going to tire yourself out, and when you are tired out, I'll just cuff you up and throw you in the back of my spaceship. And then take you in for the for the bounty. Maybe that's maybe it's more like a cat and mouse. You know, he's playing with him. That's how I read it. And it really seems like that. But before he can do that, um, he's met with gunfire from the same thugs that are also looking for Asimov. Um, and it appears that that Asimov stole this red eye from them. In which, at that point, everybody's just like, "Okay, time to go." Like my dance moves won't stop bullets. Uh, so let's, uh, they all jump into, into speeders and take off. And as they're taking off, they're able to, to get away from the gangsters or does it, it doesn't jet like come in and actually like save them in that moment. Yeah. He comes by with the ship. For me, I was like, why are they driving cars? Oh, I guess because <laughs> this whole thing is like, you know, they're in space. So like every time I saw something with like four wheels, I'm just like, why? Have something that floats. Like, why are you driving a normal car? Like, 
Well, and, and that might tie into that whole theory that, you know, the Katarina mentions were like, oh, hey, you know, in Tijuana, everybody has a regular vehicle unless you're super privileged. But in Mars, like everyone uses plane or not planes, but like floating vehicles. And, you know, everyone has a spaceship. And, and you can tell, like, you can tell, like, the scene, like, it's weird because the Tijuana, like, area that they show reminded me a lot of like some of the Japanese villages that I, I'd been to. Um, so it seems like he was taking a lot from what he knew, but also like trying to inflect like, okay, there's a little bit of poverty involved. The people here have speeders, but they also like Katarina can look at it and go, Hey, you got a, you got a fighter. It's kind of old and beat up though. Oh, Hey, like it's kind of cool that you got one, but why is it so messed up? <laughs> yeah yeah like you like you you look as though you should have loads of money and you have this this vehicle but why is it not the latest model and why is it not like you say why is it all beat up why don't you take care of it yeah hmm. yeah i'm also interested to see what's so great about mars because i guess the saying the grass isn't always greener on the other side so mars has to be like spectacular i'm expecting like all these rich people walking around but then at the same time, I feel like it's not going to be like that. Well, since it's Mars, wouldn't it be that the rock isn't redder? <laughs> on the other side? <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, speaking of, like, Mars being better, makes me wonder where Tijuana is. Because I'm, like, the whole time, I'm like, oh, they're on Earth. And, yeah, I think it's this episode where you see, like, this image of Earth in within a crater. Well, it <laughs> so- looked like... I think they show it for like a split second before they get to Tijuana. They show like this floating piece of rock and there's a city established on it. And I'm thinking like my initial thought was like, okay, someone like shot into the earth or the earth like was fractured somehow. Um, And that would be kind of the reason why everybody kind of started going to other locations. But I do wonder that like, like I said, to me, it was like Tijuana. Like, you even see them leaving the atmosphere again at the very end. There's this big chase scene, and, and Katarina and Asimov are trying to escape. And this is where we really start to see that, you know, Katarina really wants to get to Mars, but she also really cares for Asimov. There's like this whole, like, you are killing yourself with this stuff. And we also find out through some unfortunate experiences as they're getting chased that she's not pregnant, that she's just carrying extra vials of bloody eye. So that's that's her plan. She's going to go to Mars and sell the blood eye for, uh, I guess, the lavish lifestyle. The whole scene made me mad. <laughs> so, you know, like on Twitter, there's there's the movement of, well, not just Twitter. But a lot of females now are just like break up with him, and like that's all I thought yes. through the entire scene. I was like, "Yo, you already shot him. Like you could have just turned him in. You could have kept the vows and sold him yourself. Like, sis, you could do better. What are you doing?" Yes, I, I will say that as much as uh, Watanabe is very progressive in his artwork, it seems like the the tropes of like, oh, you have this. This uh, woman who's basically been told, like, hey, I'm going to take you to Mars. And it's like, wait a minute. I got all the drugs. <laughs> like, I, could, I could take myself to Mars. I don't need you. <laughs> like, And I don't think she wasn't – she didn't have a bounty out for her. 
Yeah, she did. So there was like. And I was mad. Yeah, there was, was just like. Sis, just turn them in. Like, fam, <laughs> we could have so much cash and you're playing right now. Like, you could be in Mars already. Why are you dragging him along? I didn't even think about that, but that's it's such a good point. Of like, like, you're not really necessary in this. Like, I could just I could just go. Like, I would have while he was in the bathroom, I'd have been gone. Exactly. <laughs> but I guess that's that's where that whole like I guess dependency and, and she actually cares about him. So it it makes it so that she wants to be with him, but she sees him killing himself, and in the end, winds up just shooting him. And I'm just like, wow! Like it, it just it took such a dark turn, and it ends with her just kind of looking back and Spike seeing her, and you have all these police at the end. Which I mean, again, how does Spike not go to jail for all the stuff that's been destroyed? Or, like, at least get, like, police custody. Like, it seems like he would have had to pay something. But in the end, like, I looked at it, I wrote, like, Spike's luck just runs out. Because, you know, he is lucky in that he he finds them at the gas station as he's refueling because, you know, his vehicle ran out of gas. He's lucky in that, you know, Katarina prevents Asimov from killing him, like, on the spot. Um, he's able to pickpocket the blood eye from him without knowing that he keeps it in his breast pocket. So he's just kind of like, oh, just sneak that and it's there. And then he gets to the very end as, as it seems like it's over, like, okay, it's over, we've lost. And instead of everyone just surrendering and turning themselves in, the cops just blow the thing up. And I'm like, what, what? <laughs> like, why? Why, why blow it up? And then, so then like Spike is like, well, there goes my money. <laughs> I mean, I kind of wondered if he got the bounty because it doesn't doesn't say that he didn't get it. I mean, technically, never said dead or alive, right? Well, I think sometimes it'll even it'll say that like on the bounty thing, the little bounty scouter that they read, it'll say like wanted dead or alive. But in this, at the very end, like the end scene is them back on the bebop and Spike and Jed are talking, and he goes, what's for dinner? And he goes, oh, it's my special beef and bell pepper. (laughs) So in my mind, it's like, nope, nothing's changed. Like, no one got paid. I feel like like they could have almost just started the episode completely over from right there, and it would have been like a loop of just like, yep, same old, same old events. I did like that bookending joke, though. I liked it. You know, we start the show with that joke and we're going to end with the joke as well. And it kind of it kind of goes against the trope of the good guy always has to win, you know. And I feel like it's something that they use a lot going into later episodes to help with, the, with certain story arcs and certain things that they explore. But I like that it's not a good guy always wins. You know, it's showing that they are struggling in space. You know, they're not, they aren't rolling in all the money they haven't got everything that they need you know um spike has one suit and you know so does jet as far as we can tell and it kind of makes sense that they're struggling for food and they're struggling for fuel and you know they take the jobs where they can because they're in the area and someone is you know someone there is has a bounty on their head for my money that's one of the things that makes the show better than most of the other shows where like i say you know you watch your your hour-long episode of i don't know csi or something they always get the bad guy at the end kind of gets boring because you sit there going well i know they're going to get the bad guy and i know it's going to be some clue that they find but what i really liked about it was like sitting there and doing the opposite 
and going, well, are they going to get the bad guy? I don't know. Are they going to get? Are they going to make their money? And I think it, it, it's kind of a cool thing that they did in in that. Yeah, they didn't win every time. At least they didn't win in this episode. You know. You know, one of the things that I thought of was if we look at other bounty hunters um, in in like just television. Like and and my first thought immediate was immediately was like Firefly, like Firefly has that same feel to it of like, hey, we're going, we're we're going to do the job. We're not here to be partial. We're here to, you know, do the job till the job is done. Then of course it spins into its own like political like spin of the colon the colonists versus the the republic and stuff. And you know, I, I felt like it was a like Spike's character reminded me of. You know, the crew on Firefly mixed with a little Han Solo. Like, Solo was known for kind of getting into trouble and just kind of having to get away. Like, he doesn't really ever win. <laughs> he just kind of, like, doesn't die. Um, I feel like Spike's a little bit more fortunate in that, like, he actually, like, okay, well, we did what we got to do. No one's chasing after us. No one's trying to kill us. But at the same time, it's like, I didn't really come out positive in this either. Uh, just kind of neutral. Like I no no growth or lack of growth in it. It just kind of like everything stayed the same. But from especially from Kiera's point of view, you know, this is this is your entry point into the show. You know, and how are you meant to deal with they don't win, you know, and they and they're left as far as we know penniless at the end of the show and you know, they're already struggling and they are the heroes, and you're supposed to get behind them. But how are you supposed to get behind the hero if, if they don't win? I guess off your quote-unquote hero complex, like, I have to think about other shows where it's just like, you're not always, and just life in general, you're not always going to win. So I also think some of it might have to do with my age now that I'm in my 20s. Um, so I wasn't, like, too disappointed with the ending um, as far as, like, them not getting their bounty or whatever. But I was like, there's no... Typically, you see a slight character development, but I don't see it here. It just seems like it's building the backstory. So it's like, what's what's next? Like, it's it's got to be more to it. Like, it has to be more to it. There's not more to it, you know, by episode two or three. Like, we're done. <laughs> well, and, and that's the crazy thing is that it seems like the design for this show was Spike and crew go on adventures making things happen. I mean, I'll admit, like, when they didn't get the person, I was just like, okay, well, maybe this is this seems like it happens a lot. Spike just seems like, okay, you know, oh, lost another one. And then, like, I, again, I'm, I'm saying that Spike seems like he's a very talented fighter, but not a good bounty hunter. <laughs> like, that's that's kind of my thought with this. And that's why I was wondering at the beginning of, like, okay, why does Jet stick around? Jet's complaining that Spike's always destroying stuff and that you have to come in. And, and even at times, like, you have to come in and save him and make sure he doesn't die in the process. But you stick by him. And it's like, okay, so there's something in their backstory that hopefully gets unveiled. But then also, I almost feel like Jet is like, you stuck me with this guy who's a good fighter, but yet he's also kind of useless. Like he doesn't like he seems to to squander away all of our bounty before we can cash it in, or you know, he'll destroy it in collateral damage, or you know, our purple just wind up being murdered or caught by the police. I don't know. It's it's good thoughts. And they're good thoughts all around, too. Um, especially with the idea of like, okay, hey, like Where's the character development? Where's the lesson learned in this? Like, 
you wind up you you don't know what's up with the bloody eye you know what it does but you don't know like is this like something being sold mass produced you know why did they steal it you know who's this who's this gang that they stole it from are they important are they not important um there's a lot of questions that are not answered and again i do wonder like you said jamie this was an episode 1 originally you know why why make it episode 1 now but then the other thing as well is that it was initially going to be a series of movies. So, like, would this have worked as a movie? I'm not sure it would have. I don't think episode one would have worked as a film. No, you, could, you couldn't make that a, a full-featured film. It's, it's, I mean, it's cleaned up so smoothly. Like, hey, we go in, we need to get this guy. All right, you, you go talk to the guy. The guy, there's a shootout. You learn more about what's going on. You have a character interaction that doesn't go well. And then you have the end result and at the end, everyone dies except for our heroes. And it's like, okay, well, that they kind of just cleaned that up nice and nice and quick. And then they're off. They're off to the next planet to get the next bounty. Like they're not even, they don't care about the bloody eye. They're not looking into it. It's not their job to look into it. They're bounty hunters. They're not the police. They're not, you know, detectives. And it, it just makes it so weird because you're like, but what about, what about all the bloody eye? What about like, I mean, is, is there going to be like a big crime spree in Tijuana now? Is it a big drug problem? Like, how's that going to infect other areas? But Spike doesn't care because that's not his job. His job's to catch the perp. I kind of wondered what the bloody eye had to do with anything, if it'll come back in future episodes. But like I said, like the, the ending of the episode, I was like, okay, so they didn't win the bounty, but... For me, like I said, as a female, the biggest thing was like, why, why old girl commit suicide? Like, <laughs> you just didn't have to do it. And it was like, for me, that that was just the thing that bothered me. Because I'm just like, okay, there's different ways that could have turned out. Like, I don't know. It kind of makes you think that they weren't dating also. Because I would never kill a sibling or anything. But like, think about how many people for their siblings would like, you know, turn them in to save them from themselves type of thing. So mm, that's that's a good thought too. Yeah, like female like nurturing perspective was just kind of like pissed. It was just like there's more there's more ways that you could have did this. You didn't have to die for it. Like, you know, but at the same time it's just like, all right, so if you go back to the characters, what did they really have to do with any of this other than it just being a bounty? Does this affect them in any way? Is it going to affect, you know, the plot of the story as we go down the line? And and that's the thing is, I mean, again, these are these are just stories. Like, from what I can tell, I don't see them coming. I don't see a reason for them to tie back into anything. It's just, again, hey, that's cleaned up nicely. We don't have to worry about people showing up or anything. We're not going to get paid, but no one's coming after us. Like, you don't have the, the mob looking like, oh, hey, we didn't get the guy because, you know, this person will then go get him. Like, you, you don't have that. And it's it just kind of like, okay, well, uh, I guess on to the next one. Perhaps, like, well, what was the true relationship between Katarina and Asimov? They really never explained that. See, for me, the Katarina-Asimov relationship, I think they were both using each other. Asimov was using Katarina as a way of almost being a drugs mule. Not in the same sense, but she's carrying the drugs around for him. And she was using him as a way of getting to Mars. So like in the, at least in the English dub, she has a Mexican ish, a Latin ish accent. So she's from the area. So maybe she wants a better life. And the only way that she can get this better life is to team up with Asimov. 
because he promises her, I'll get you to Mars and we'll live like kings and queens and we'll live a happy life and you can do whatever you want because it's Mars and we'll be happy. But you have to help me sell the drugs first. I can see that. I wonder at the end if the reason why she just like doesn't just run off on her own or I guess at the very, very end when she just kind of gives up and then gets destroyed, like there's no turning yourself in. Maybe she was just like, I'm, I'm done. Like I've, I've just had it with this planet. I've had it with this life. If I can't get to Mars, then I'm not going back and I'm definitely not going back as a prisoner and I'm not going back as a, you know, a bounty. Like maybe she just gave up. I feel like she didn't have anything to do with it though. Like for her, it was like, well, if I can't be in Mars without him, you know, it might not be worth it. But she also had to make the choice of saving him from himself. I can very much see that thinking just like a sibling relationship. I can see that being a thing. You never want to be great and not be able to bring your family along with you. But like at the same time, if you're hurting yourself, I'm going to get you whatever you need, whether that be, God forbid, turning you into the police or something like that. So I can I can kind of understand why she gave up. But still, like I said, back of my mind, you could have just dropped him. Yeah. Totally didn't need to. <laughs> could have just left him. Well, that concludes our thoughts on episode one. All in all, like, what was everyone's thought, you know, after episode one? I mean, again, we have two people who have seen this before and then one person who's never seen it. Like, what were your thoughts after watching the first episode of the overall, like, story that is Cowboy Bebop so far? For me, I was just like... I want to see the next episode. I want to get to the next one. I want to get to the next one, then the next one, and then the next one. And then hopefully we'll meet one of my favorite characters. No, I'll just leave it at that. That's... <laughs> oh, man. No spoilers. No spoilers. I, I'm looking forward to some other characters that might or might not be introduced as well. I think for me, I don't know, it left like a, a lot of weird questions because I like answering questions since me being engineer. It's like, so uh, where's the next episode? Like, how many episodes are in this season? How long is it going to take me to figure out, like, answer the questions I have? Are they going to be answered? Are they going to make me watch more than one season to answer my questions? Well, lucky enough, we only, Cowboy Bebop only ran for one season. So uh, you're either going to get all your questions answered or you're going to be really, really mad uh, by the end of this series. But that concludes our first episode. Uh, then our next episode will cover episode two, and I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see what's next in the adventures of Jet and Spike. And uh, yeah, I will uh, definitely say uh, if you want to tell us more about your theories, you can do so. We have an email address. Uh, you can email us at devotakupodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to each any of us individually i'm jay miller at kjay miller on twitter i'm jamie i'm at dot net core blog on twitter and i'm kiera the dev on instagram uh kiera is k-e-h-e-i-r-a as they say in cowboy bebop see you later cowboy <laughs> <laughs> see you see you